Good morning. My name is Bill Hatcher, and I'm one of your elders. Um, today's scripture reason, reading comes from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, and it can be found in the Pew Bible on page 8. So if you will, turn to Genesis 11, 1 through 9, in the Pew Bible, page 8. May we stand in the reading of God's Word. The Tower of Babel. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. May God bless the reading of his word. Please take your seat. It's our custom that we take a few minutes and meditate on God's word. At this point, we'll dismiss the kindergarten and second graders through the back door, and you have your Bibles open there to Genesis chapter 11, making our way through the book of Genesis this fall. This is a turning point after this chapter. The first, when you think of Genesis, it's in two blocks, 1 through 11, and then 12 begins uh, the life of Abraham and goes through the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So you think of Four events, uh, creation, the fall, the flood, and the tower. That's the first 11 chapters. And then four men, four families, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So we're at this last of these four, and that's what we'll be looking at this morning. In the summer of 2007, in the city of Chicago, construction began on what was designed to be the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. That building was going to be known as the Chicago Spire. At its peak, it was going to be 2,000 feet high. And just to give you some perspective, you might know that the Sears Tower in Chicago, it's been renamed now, but it's 1,500 feet high. So this spire was going to be 25% bigger than that, dwarfing this enormous building known as the Sears Tower and the way they were going to design it, the steel was going to twist as it moved up. And so what it was going to look like was like a, a drill bit as it was moving towards the sky. And some people would say it's a tower that's going to drill a hole in the heavens. 
Well, the cost of the tower was going to be $1.5 billion. And if you wanted a condominium in the tower, price per square foot was $800 to $1,000 for one square foot. That's pretty expensive real estate. The first year of construction and the first $100 million from 2007 to 2008 That first year, they invested $100 million, and the first $100 million went to building a seven-story hole for the foundation. So when you're building a building that large, you have to pretty big foundation. And so they have a seven-story hole, cost them $100 million. And in 2008, the economy crashed, and so did the Chicago Spire's ambitions So what was designed to be a $1.5 billion building, drilling a hole into the heavens, ended up becoming a $100 million hole in the ground. Some towers just weren't meant to be built. Some towers cause bankruptcy. And what could be said of the Chicago spire could also be said of the Tower of Babel, this other spire that we have in Genesis chapter 11. It's a tower that was never meant to be built. And it's a tower that's going to cause or create spiritual bankruptcy. So as we examine the story, it's a very easy story, very simple text this morning, because it's just a story that has two halves. The first half is what I call or describe as the world's blueprint. This is, this is how you're supposed to build a city or build a life without God. What does it look like to build a life? What does it look like to build a culture without God? That's described very well in verses 1 through 4. And then we have God's response, verse 5 through 9. So very simple. We're just going to look at the first part and just see how man attempts to build a life, build a city, build a culture without God. And then we watch how God responds to this particular effort. So let's look at those two. First, the world's blueprint. Let's look again at verse 2. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they, ma- they had brick for st- and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The, the world's blueprint or uh, for Babylon, or or for us, is to build a build a life without God. That's the world's blueprint. That's the way the world tries to operate. Is you need to build a life, you need to build a culture, you need to build a resume, you need to build something. But it's it's a world without God. And the first hint of that is in verse two. Might not be very noticeable, but notice in verse two it says the people are moving eastward. It's just a hint. But most scholars think the hint is there on purpose, that Moses designed that eastward movement, or he's he's highlighting the eastward movement, because eastward movement usually signals moving away from God. When Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, where did they go? East. They went east of Eden. They're they're moving away from the presence of God. And then after Cain had killed Abel in chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the east. So just the movement, just the very beginning. Again, it's just a hint. It's just a we're beginning our movement, and our life is beginning by moving away from God. We're, We're heading east. 
And I want to just stop here just for a moment and ask you to evaluate for yourself. In your life right now, are you moving east? You're just, you're just moving away from God. You, you know who God is. You, you maybe feel like you have a relationship with him. But really, if, if, if somebody could sort of see your soul, if they could see the direction that you're moving as a person, really you're heading east. You're, you're trying to leave God behind. So often people will come to me for counsel, and the story will say some, be something like this. You know, Paul, three or four years ago, I started heading east. Now, they don't say it that way, of course. But they'll say, you know, I, I was somewhere with God. And then just then the sometime it wasn't like one day. It's just I began heading east. And now three or four years later, my life's totally upside down. It's the reason they're in my office. You come in my office if you want a piece of candy or you need help. Those are the two things. And most people are coming in for help. And, and they're saying... My heart started heading east. I just started drifting away. I was prone to wander. And, I, and no one ever stopped me, and I never turned back around. And now my, my life is upside down. And my encouragement for you, if, if that, maybe that's all you need to hear this morning, it would, it would, my encouragement to you is to do something very brave. And it's to ask me or a, a greeter or somebody nearby and say, Hey, my heart's heading east. Can you can you help? Well, they're heading east. A, a city, a life without God is is heading east. It's moving away from God's presence. And the next page in the blueprint is is verse three. And it doesn't really sound like much here when when they're they're moving to the plains of Shinar and they're building these bricks. But uh, this is an important verse. In the plains of Shinar, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plain. It's not mountainous. It's very fertile soil, but there's not a lot of rocks in the soil. And so they have to figure out if we want to stop here and we want to build a city here, we can't use the stone. We've got to come up with some other thing. And they take the clay that's the part of the ground and they take this uh, bitumen. Or it's just like a, a tar that sort of bubbles up underneath the surface, sort of the oil sands of that area. And they say, well, if we if we take the clay and we bake it and then we take this tar and we sort of stick it together like mortar, then we don't need stone. We can just build something on our own. We have a substitute for stone. And this this construction method, small as it may seem to us, is a huge technological advancement for these people. So these people who are moving eastward couple that together with their human ingenuity and their human cleverness, and not surprisingly, it creates even a bigger chasm. See, I'm already heading away from God, and then I find out I'm so clever. I mean, I can invent things. I can build things on my own. I don't need any sort of resource from somebody else. I can just do it on my own, my own ingenuity, my own technological advancement. Doesn't this sound very familiar today? As soon as we get to this next crest of this next technological advancement, then humanity finally will have arrived. And so the people in Babel feel like they've arrived and they've they foolishly began to believe that they're self-sufficient. 
and human ingenuity and human technology very quickly moves in as a good substitute for God. And their hearts, they continue to move east. I love the quote on the bulletin from the Newsweek article. Today, the destructive potential of the nuclear powers threatens the sovereignty of God. Amazing. That somehow the writer thinks, because we've built some rockets and we know how to split them at them, and somehow we threaten God's own sovereignty. It's like an ant picking up a, a piece of sand and saying, Mr. Phillips, I'm going to get you today. I mean, come on. I mean, it seems big from our standpoint, but from God's standpoint, nothing, certainly humanity, is not going to threaten God's sovereignty. But you see, human ingenuity, human advancement always fills in this hole in the soul and makes you believe, hey, you really don't need God. You can build a city, you can build a life, and you can build one very well on your own and without God. And what we discover bubbling underneath this surface, beyond this this tar-like substance in Babylon, is a massive amount of pride. You see it very well here in verse 4, and actually reads better in the Hebrew, which I won't try to read for you. But the way it reads in the Hebrew is it's like pride erupts like a volcano in Babylon. And the way it reads is, come let us build us. Come let us make us. See, we're going to build ourselves. We're going to make ourselves. Everything's self-sufficient. Everything is, is self-centered. The translation might be, let us build us a city without God. And at the city center, there'll be a great tower, a tower whose top will reach into the heavens. Because if there's a heaven, then we can get there on our own. See, this, this whole city, the, the city that becomes Babylon, is this city without God. And all the structures lead to this, this powerful temple that looks like a staircase. It's called a ziggurat. And it's sort of like a pyramid structure, but they're sort of plateaus. So if you look at it from a distance, it looks like a staircase where you can reach up into heaven. If there is a heaven, if there is a God, I can get there on my own. I don't need any help. If you're heading east this morning, if you're impressed with your own accomplishments, you will eventually find a city. Or you'll build one for yourself where you believe you don't need God. And you begin to believe that if there is an afterlife, if there is a heaven, I can just get there by myself. Notice this final eruption of pride, very prominent. The world's blueprint is for you to build this tower, not just a city, but in the city you have to have a tower. And notice whose name has to be on that tower. Whose name needs to be on the tower? Your name. We've got to build a city, and we've got to make a great name for ourselves. We've got all this, we're moving away from God. We've got all this human advancement. We have all this ability. And now we need to build a tower. And on the top of the tower, I need to have Paul Phillips on the top of that tower. I need to make sure everybody knows who I am. Everybody knows my name. I've got to make a name for myself. Name in the Bible is, is a reference to reputation or fame or, or character. And so when, when you read this, 
You're intended to feel the distinction and the, 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 uh, the, the rub between this passage and the passage in chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, At that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. See, there's been a big distance between chapter 4 and chapter 11. In chapter 4, people began to gather and they were calling on God's name. They were saying, hey, God's fame, God's character, God's reputation is what matters. And now here, six chapters later, seven chapters later, no, God's name gets erased from the stadium. God's name gets off the billboard. God's name comes off the building. And instead, your name goes up. It's not about making God great. It's about making me great. It's about making our city great, our country great. It's all about us in Babel. Consider how Moses' congregation might have heard this. Remember, Moses is telling the story. He's the author. He's telling it to a particular congregation. The first receivers of the congregation are the Israelites. What do the Israelites have just experienced? They've just come out of Egypt. And what's the most prominent feature in Egypt? A pyramid-like structure. And whose name is on that pyramid? One man, a Pharaoh. And that man was a godlike person. And see, when they, when they hear this story, they go, oh, we know all about that kind of culture. Because Egypt is a culture, is a city built without God. And then in Exodus 9, verse 16, God addresses Pharaoh. Listen to what he says. I have raised you up for this purpose. That I might show you my power and that my name, my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. Think about it. The the primary purpose of Exodus is God-centered, not man-centered. See, the primary purpose of Exodus, as great as it is that these people get saved, that's not the primary purpose. See, the primary purpose today is not for someone to get saved. The primary purpose today is for God's name to look great. And as his name looks great, people come in, people are transformed, and praise the Lord, it happens. But we're not praising each other. We're praising God. And these people understand, coming out of that kind of culture, they're they're very, very well aware That they're going to make it now this new land, the new promised land. And this new promised land is supposed to lift up the reputation, the name of God. So as people come into Egypt or Israel, they know there's somebody else's name on the top of the biggest buildings. What about the Lord's Prayer? The first line in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, what does it say? See, hallowed be thy name. I've got to, I've got to, in the very beginning of my prayer, I've got to totally reorient myself. Because a lot of times, if we really don't understand the structure of the Lord's Prayer, then you say, I pray all the time for things that I need. Now, I don't want to take that away. But you see, if, if all you do is pray for things that you need, whose name is on the top of your tower? God, I need you to make sure my name my fame, my reputation is upheld. And can you come in and do that? No. See, Jesus is saying, let's make sure we get a total reorientation. The very first thing we want to do is recognize and lift up the name of the Lord. The world's blueprint is that you build a tower, you build a resume, you build a life, you build a reputation, and you make sure people... 
know your name. Now, I want to notice one last part of this blueprint. Notice what forms the, the foundation of this tower, this city without God, this life without God. Look at verse 4. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, we need to build a tower. We need to make a name for ourselves. And what we don't want to do is we don't want to be dispersed. See, the foundation of a city without God is fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of something. And I, I love the Derek Kidner quote on the, on the, the very bottom of the, bu- the bulletin. History, here's what he's talking, his comment on this particular passage. History reaches its fruitless climax as man, conscious of his new abilities, prepares to glorify and fortify himself by collective effort. The elements of the story are timelessly characteristic of the spirit of the world. The project is typically grandiose. Men describe it excitingly to one another as if, as if it were the ultimate achievement. And at the same time, they betray their insecurity as they crowd together to preserve their identity and control their fortunes. You hear what he's saying? He's saying the tower that has your name on it, the ultimate achievement, it is so shaky. It's so shaky. I've got to get people around and say, Paul, you're doing the right thing. It's a good thing. Keep building that tower. My tower with my name is built on shifting sand. I know it's shifting sand. I'm so afraid it's going to topple at any one moment. I've got to have constantly people reinforce my false belief. I can't have them scattered because my tower might completely collapse. I don't know if you heard about this. I'm assuming if I hear about something like this, I'm the last one to know because I'm not in the pop culture that that much. There's a 19-year-old girl. Her last name is O'Neill. She's from Austria, or she's from uh, she's an Australian, and she's an Instagram model. I didn't even know that kind of thing existed. She has over 600,000 followers. And this is what she does for her week. She spends 50 hours a week taking hundreds of selfies. Strategically constructing this image of a beautiful, happy, carefree teenager. So in one part of this article I read, her sister was taking 100 selfies in the morning just so she could get the perfectly crafted image of herself when she woke up in the morning. She announced on a video this week that went viral, which is how I got a hold of it, that she was quitting social media. Now, look, whether she quit social media or not, I don't know. I think this is going to be a big lift for this young lady. But this is what she said, a couple of her comments. For me, listen to what she says. For me, it was contrived perfection made to get attention. Contrived perfection all so I have a tower that gets attention. I deleted over 2,000 pictures of myself. <laughs> Man, I can't imagine having 2,000 pictures of my. Can you imagine? I mean, two or three pictures of plenty of Paul Phillips, but 2,000 pictures. It served eight. Okay. I'm glad I didn't see who said that have the offering plate go down that row one more time. (laughs) 
2,000 pictures. They served no real purpose other than self-promotion. And then this was his final quote. Listen to this. It's a system, or I would say it's a tower. It's a system based on social approval, likes, validation and views, success and followers. It's perfectly orchestrated self-absorption. Gosh, you can build a tower on Instagram. Doesn't have to be at the city center. It's just the center of your soul. You build this tower and your name's on the on the top of it. Everything's perfectly orchestrated for self-absorption. And see, these towers weren't meant to be built. And these kinds of towers, they lead to spiritual bankruptcy. You, you, you get promise out in the world, fame. And what you end up with is a seven-story hole in your soul. Every human heart's like a city. The buildings are hopes and dreams and fears and discouragements and disappointments. But at the heart of your city, at the heart of your heart is a tower. And I wonder if you can see it this morning. If you look into your heart and you see this city, you've got fears and anxieties and hopes and dreams and disappointments. Those are all the buildings that make up your heart. But in your heart, for every human heart here, there is a tower. And I wonder if you know what that tower is. And I wonder if you could see that tower, whose name is on that tower. One gauge to use, only one, but one important gauge to use to know if your name is on the tower is if you live by fear. If you live a lot out of fear, your name is on that tower. Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, what? The laborers labor in vain. First half, man wants us to have a tower. Man wants us to have a tower without God and a name that is ourselves at the top of that tower. And then let's just notice a couple things about God's response, verses 5 through 9. Verse 5 is this, this tipping point, the turning point in the story. And the Lord came down... To see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. It's not just a turning point. It's also a punchline. You're supposed to laugh at verse 5. Why? Because this tower that was supposed to reach in the heavens, what did God have to do? I can't find it up in the heavens. i got to come down. I mean, I'm looking around in the heavens and I don't see this tower. So I've, I've got to come all the way down. I've got to find this little tower that these men have built. This punchline, it's this use of sarcasm that Moses has in writing the story. See, from man's perspective, the tower seems so impressive. But from God's perspective, it seems so insignificant. You know this. You've taken off in a plane in New York City or Chicago or any big city. And you, as soon as you start, you're like, wow, look at these big cities and uh, big towers. And you get up and you, find, you can't distinguish which one's the tallest one anymore. And then you, if you get up to 30,000 feet, you can't even see them. Well, imagine from God's perspective. This great tower that's supposed to reach the heavens is like a grain of sand for God. And so he has to come down to even examine the tower. Reminds me of Psalm chapter 2. 
Uh, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they take their stand. See, these people who, who are powerful people, and they take their stand against the Lord, and the Lord, what does it say? And the Lord laughs. Psalm 2. These great men come forward, and they look very big. They look very impressive. They're towers. But from God, he just laughs. I mean, come on. See, see humanity easily loses perspective. We, we easily lose our view of reality. We, we quickly get distorted. And, and, and powerful nations and powerful people and people who look like, in their control, that look like they're in control, they look terribly impressive. But the Lord looks down and laughs. There really is no good illustration of this, but I have a driveway that has a few cracks in it. And uh, every once in a while, especially in the summer, these tiny little ants will build their anthill, I don't know, in the crack. These are not smart ants because you're building your, your home in my driveway. So this isn't a good plan. But they're building it in the crack. It's just a small little hill. But I think for these tiny little ants, when they build their hill, they're like, whoa. I get out my broom, one sweep. No more. It's gone. I didn't even think about it. Whole, 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 whole life gone. It just reminds me of that. Remember when we studied Ecclesiastes? Generations come and generations go, and the next generation doesn't even remember. You make your splash, you reach out like a wave on the shoreline, you think, look how impressive our culture is. Look how, how the millennials or Generation X or Generation Y or whatever generation you're in. We're going to make a splash. We're going to be the ones who remember, are well remembered. And the next generation comes in right behind and people don't even know you existed. You just swept away. And so God comes down, he laughs at what these people think are impressive. And of course, this, just understanding this, is such an encouragement to the people of God. Because you get out in the world, I, you, you feel it, I feel it, you get out in the world and things and people look impressive. And you kind of, kind of back down with your understanding of who, of who God is. You're, you're a college student and you, you take your Christianity into a classroom and this professor who is a lot smarter than you starts running circles around your arguments and you're just befuddled and you don't know what to do. And you look around at your college classmates and it doesn't look like a lot of them are following after God. And you can feel like, well, these people are smart. They have all the degrees. They must know something. They look impressive. And you, you, you shrink back. And God laughs at those kinds of people. He's not impressed with that. You can be a businessman or a politician. You can get out in the world and when you get into that the business world, the political world, there's power structures. Everybody knows who's in power. Everybody's fighting for power. And when the right person walks in the room, everyone knows it. Hey, he just walked in the room. But people who build their lives without God are not impressive to God. Perhaps this is a discussion with your neighbor. Culture is moving away from God. I know you know it. And now you say something about your beliefs or, or how your beliefs affect your view of something. And God, I mean, come on, it's so outdated. 
I mean, did you get an education? And you, you shrink back and you feel like, wow, everybody's moving away from me. Yeah, everybody's moving east. So God looks down and he's not impressed with that kind of thing. So you, you can take courage. You can be encouraged that God's in control. And then secondly, just notice he laughs, but then he sends confusion. This works out in two different ways. First of all, notice in verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they, have all, they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they're going to do. And nothing ahead of them, that, nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And this is really kind of a frightening verse. God sees the tower. He sees the tower as just the beginning. It's not, not an end. These people, if, if something doesn't happen, they'll box me out. It'll become so dark in their world, they'll never be able to receive any light. And so I've got to create cracks. I've got to create boundaries. I've got to create little kingdoms that don't function very well. So people begin to look in confusion. Hey, is there another kingdom? Is there another way to do it? And so he creates this barrier that's a barrier of language. Now, n- nobody's real certain how this happened, whether it was just you showed up on the job site one day and everybody's got a different language or it happened over time. But nonetheless, he confuses his language and you have to wonder and you do know this. The reversal of this, the beginning of the reversal of this is Acts chapter two. You remember that the disciples come to, come and they're now speaking the languages and everybody can hear them. It's the way of God saying, hey, I'm going to gather the whole world back together but underneath my kingdom. But you have to wonder if it happens suddenly. <laughs> what the next day on the job site might have been like. Uh, good morning, how are you? Buenos dias, como esta? And then if this is the way they say it in Chinese, xiao hang hao ni hao ma. Now imagine if you've got all these languages now being spoken in this one construction site, how immediately confusing it was. And everybody thinking their language is the right language, and quickly they began to disperse and create different cultures. And they began to disperse over the world. One commentator says this, Babylon's evil empire, sounds like a Star Wars thing, Babylon's evil empire will not control the whole earth. Instead, nations will oppose each other, thus allowing room for God's kingdom to penetrate the world. So God sends this confusion. It creates barriers, and that ba- those barriers uh, reign in sin and also create a crack where God's kingdom can be seen. The second thing, and more on a personal note, When you build a tower in your life, a tower without God, it's going to fall down one day. And when that tower falls down, it's going to create confusion for you. I had built my whole life on this, this person, this reputation, this business, this dream, and it's not going to happen. My tower with my name on it comes crumbling down. And when that happens, people get confused. Their lives get exposed. And when their lives get confusing and exposed, then they start saying, is there something outside of this life that can make sense of it? 
So confusion is a mercy. It's not a punishment. See, if you were left to just build your own tower, you'd never look for God. But merciful, he comes in and he he crushes many of your towers to say, you are heading east. And if you had been able to build this tower, you would have never come back. But I made sure you didn't build that tower so you could turn around and say, is there somebody else to build my life on? Is there something else to build my life on? It's a great mercy that God would deconstruct our towers. After 9-11, these towers, these twin towers, I remember watching that. Now, I, I was, I'm old enough and had been to New York City. I'd been to the top of the World Trade Center. I couldn't even imagine watching these things fall. It took less than one hour for them to fall down. These two things that seem so permanent, so eternal, in one hour, gone. See, every human being, there's a city in their heart. They're building buildings, and there is a tower. And my question is, is that tower end up going to be a hole, a seven-story hole in your soul? Or is it a tower that leads to eternity because it's based on God and not on you? Let's pray together. Lord, so many, so many help.